It is a beautiful Tuesday afternoon down here in South Florida. This is the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all the hot takes, news, and anything else going on in the racing world. We are going to be talking about some NASCAR Cup Series action today, some IndyCar, and end it off with our race weekend rankings. So without further ado, let's talk about the passing of the torch. You know... One generation is ending, and they pass the torch to the next generation. It doesn't usually happen, you know, like, actually where it's like, in sports specifically, where it's like, oh, here you go, here are the keys to the car. It happens really just over time. Like, no one really expects when it's going to happen. Usually it's a peaceful transition. There's really no complications, you know. It's like, okay, the veterans understand their time has come, and they give the keys to the young guns, and then they take over. And then the cycle continues and continues and continues. But what happens when this transition isn't peaceful? The young blood be damned. The veterans need to stand their ground. They don't want to leave. They still have a point to prove. Currently, Chase Elliott, your defending Cup Series champion, is in a four-year story of this where the where the old guard refuses to kneel down to the new young blood. And Chase Elliott is the center of this story. Let me take you back to 2017 at Martinsville for the playoff race. Chase Elliott, he's trying to make it to the Final Four for the first time in his career. He's currently in the round of eight. With a handful of laps to go, he is in position to win his first career race and punch his ticket. What happens after that, you guys all know. Denny Hamlin wrecks Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott finishes outside the top 20. And it is that race that ends up killing any chance of him making the Final Four because while he did finish second at Phoenix and I believe top five at Texas, it wasn't enough to get the job done. So this was a three. This was basically a three-week span. This was chapter one of the story. Chase Elliott going up against arguably one of the greatest to not win a championship. That can all change this year. We don't know. The round of eight just started. And on top of that, he's been a veteran of the sport since the year 2006. You're talking a driver, which at that time, over 12 years of Cup Series experience under his belt. Let's flash forward three years later to the year 2020. Chase Elliott, he's in position with fresh tires, ready to overtake Denny Hamlin for the race win. He just passed by Kyle Busch, and just as Kyle Busch is about to tuck back under inside of Chase Elliott, right behind him, he turns Chase Elliott into the wall, causing Chase Elliott to DNF. As we all know, Chase Elliott gives him that famous bird, which is still used to this day. And again, this is another rivalry that started. Kyle Busch has been a veteran of the sport since the year 2005. So you're talking a driver with over 16 years of Cup Series experience under his belt. Again, a pitted against who else? Chase Elliott. This rivalry is really the tamest out of the three rivalries because there wasn't really any bad blood. I mean... Kyle Busch knew he was in the wrong. Even when Chase Elliott lost the Coca-Cola 600, Kyle Busch went up to him to, you know, give him some condolences. And while this may have ended at the Charlotte truck race with, Kyle Busch, with Chase Elliott claiming Kyle Busch's bounty, Kyle Busch, yeah, he gave a little smarky remark, but that's just Kyle Busch in general. So again, from Darlington to Charlotte trucks, this is chapter two of the story. And chapter three, it may still continue, but at the very same time, it can obviously end is this year Kevin Harvick at Bristol Kevin Harvick wrecks Chase Elliott cuts his tire because they were trying to go around a lap car in my opinion it was just a 
tough situation in Bristol. I mean, you're going three wide trying to get around a lap car. Both drivers are trying to go for the win, lock themselves into the next round. None of them were really safe. So what did you expect was going to happen? Now, according to Chase Elliott, these two have had beef before, specifically at Darlington the previous two weeks at that time. I wasn't aware of this, so I'm not sure. But long story short, as everyone knows, Chase Elliott cuts a tire, goes multiple laps down. He gets in front of Kevin Harvick multiple laps down. He holds Kevin Harvick up, gives him a little side swipe while he's at it, and that allows Kyle Larson to pass Harvick for the win. Harvick is furious. Elliott is furious because they both just lost a shot at the win. Harvick, they say that he acted a little more like a child, but in my opinion, that just shows the passion that these drivers have for winning. I mean, think about it. Kevin Harvick, he went from winning nine races the year previously to he's still looking for his first win. Hell, he has less top fives this year than he had wins last year. So you got to imagine Kevin Harvick, he's trying to end, he's trying to keep his winning streak going. He's trying to finally get another win to add to the column. And Chase Elliott basically took that away from him. If I'm Kevin Harvick, I'd be just as furious. And if any of you guys were in that situation, you guys would be just as furious as Harvick. Now, where does that lead us to? It leads us to the Charlotte Roval. Harvick wrecks Chase Elliott coming out of coming out of the infield section. Elliott is obviously furious. He basically vows to wreck Kevin Harvick. And Chase Elliott basically turns on the intimidator button. And Kevin Harvick, which seems like he was scared to get wrecked by Chase Elliott, he wrecks himself going right into... He basically tried to mimic what Chase Elliott did in 2019, except he actually DNF'd. So this is chapter three of this rivalry. So what am I trying to say here? Chase Elliott doesn't, Chase Elliott's the figurehead of the youth movement. He's a 2020 Cup Series champion. He is the former lead dog at Hendrick Motorsports. Sorry, Will, that belongs to Kyle Larson now. And he has made the playoffs every single year, and he's the top 10 in points every single year, not to mention being the most popular driver. And he's only 25 years old. When you think of the current youth movement in NASCAR, you think of Chase Elliott. He is the standard, the representative of what the young drivers, if you are a young driver, you are Chase Elliott set the standard for where you need to perform. And what are all three of his big old rivalries have in common? They're all established veterans. He's never had a rivalry with a young driver. I'm trying to think of maybe some rivalries off the top of my head. The one I can think of is... When he and Blaney wrecked each other at either Michigan or Pocono in their rookie years, there might be another one thrown in there that I can't think of, but think about it. His three biggest rivalries, Denny Hamlet, Kyle Busch, Kevin Harvick, what do they all have in common? They're all veterans. This is the definition of the young guns going against the veterans. And on one hand, you could say that it's a coincidence that, oh, Chase Elliott, all his rivalries are going up against the established veterans that in a couple years are going to be on their way out. But, I mean, think about it. Kevin Harvick's in his mid-40s. Denny Hamlin is in his early 40s. Kyle Busch is in his late 30s. Drivers in this age range, they say that this is the peak that their drivers should perform, but is it really? I mean, think about it. Dale Earnhardt Jr., he retired at 41 or 42. In his rookie, in his final year, he was a shell of his former self, let alone just going back to 2016. Jimmy Johnson, his downfall from 2017 to 2020 is well documented. He went from winning a seventh championship to going winless in his final three years. 
Matt Kenseth. Even his technically what was supposed to be his final year in 2017, everyone thinks it was a great season, but really it wasn't that great. He only had like eight top fives and like 17 top tens. He was wildly inconsistent. I don't even know if he finished inside the top ten in points that year. And then, you know, there's that 2020 season that's well documented where he was just a complete shell of his former self. So, the and just to name some other examples, I mean, Ryan Newman. I mean, I know that crash at Daytona probably had a lot to do with it, but, I mean, Newman isn't competitive anymore. I mean, these veterans, the few that are left in the sport, they feel like they need to stand their ground. They're seeing all their... They're seeing all their competitors, the drivers that they grew up, they grew up competing with, getting out the door and not just walking out the door, but walking out the door pretty bad. I mean, even someone like Clint Boyer, who had a, who made the playoffs and had a solid, you know, arguably a solid year, you can say hit or miss. He only had two top fives and twelve top tens. Is that really how you want to go out in your final year? rarely finishing inside the top 10. So these drivers, they need to stand their, their, they feel like they need to stand their ground, show that they still have a place in the sport. I mean, think about it. Kyle Busch, in his last two years, really since the second half of 2019, he hasn't looked like himself. He went from being a championship contender to, you know, a solid top five, top ten driver, but he's no longer really a championship favorite. Kevin Harvick, again, the downfall from 2020 to 2021 has been well documented. Even Denny Hamlin, he's probably the most solid, most consistent driver out of all of them. But look how long it took him to win a race this year, let alone win multiple races. And you know the funny thing about all this? The young driver, Chase Elliott, not barely in his mid-20s. He looks more like the mature veteran than the three drivers I just previously stated, that I just previously named when all these rivalries started forming. In 2017, Denny Hamlin, he basically, when he wrecked Chase Elliott, he was basically like, eh, I wrecked him. So what? Like He didn't take any accountability for it. He didn't apologize. He just acted like, yeah, it happened. Oh, well, let's move on. Kyle Busch. Kyle Busch, out of all three of these, which is the funniest thing to me when I started really thinking about this, he is the one who has really taken it the most... He's the one who's been the most mature. He's the one who's acted the most like a man out of all three of these drivers. Kyle Busch, ladies and gentlemen. Because, like I said, he knew he did wrong to Chase Elliott. He went up to Chase Elliott. He apologized to Chase Elliott. And, like I said, at the end of the Coca-Cola 600, really only a less than a week prior... To the incident, he went up to Chase Elliott. He's like, he went up. He tried to give him condolences. He tried to give him advice. This is Kyle Busch, might I add. And Kevin Harvick, I mean, he basically ruined any credibility he had this season with his antics at the Charlotte Roval. Again, Bristol, I give him a pass because, again, he's been winless this year and he's on pace to stay winless. So I don't blame him for being as pissed as he was at Bristol. But at the Roval, dude, you still finished second. You moved on to the next round. You were in position to advance, and you threw it away because you were acting like a damn child. Like, Kevin Harvick is, he had a reputation of being one of the most respected veterans in the sport. Now, if you ask fans what they think of Kevin Harvick right now, 
they'll probably give you the same opinion they had of him back in the early 2000s. A brat. So what am I trying to get by this? Is that the young drivers, they're going to take over. You can make the argument they're already taking over. And the veterans, they need, they're feeling like they need to stand their ground. And sometimes they may feel like that they're losing. I mean, like I've stated before, with Harvick, his downfall, Kyle Busch, Hamlin, hell, Truex is really having, I mean, I've crapped on Truex this year for a good reason. He just hasn't been the same consistent driver that he previously was. That could be, that may be a reason why he only has a one-year extension with JGR. So these veterans, they're going to feel like they need to stand their ground. They don't want to be kicked out of the sport like like, you know, their contemporaries were, like the Johnsons, like the Kenseths, like, you know, like the Juniors. They don't want to go out on a bad note like their contemporaries were. So they feel like they need to stand their ground. And, again, like I said, Chase Elliott, he just seems to be at the forefront of it. He's showing he's a clear representative of the young drivers fighting against the old. Because while Chase Elliott may seem vanilla, he don't let none of these guys go away. He don't let them, you know, get away with it. And we've seen that. So keep an eye on this for the next couple of years as we see the Harvicks and the Hamlins and the Bushes and the Truex as they start to decline more and more and more. How are they going to react? Not just with Chase Elliott, but with these other drivers as they continue to take over the sport. All right, so moving on to our next topic. The 2021 IndyCar season obviously ended a couple week a couple weeks ago. Alex Pillow won the championship. It was honestly a fantastic season of IndyCar racing. So while the season may have just ended probably not even a month ago, we're going to look into the future. We're going to go thinking that we are close to February 2022, and we're going to look at the top five drivers to watch for the 2022 IndyCar season. I've taken into multiple accounts, you know, Who's coming in hot for the season? You know, new drivers, new places. Some might be going from part-time to full-time. So without further ado, here we go. And this is in no particular order, by the way. So number one, speaking of our defending champion, this is who we have starting off the list, Alex Polo. He is obviously the defending IndyCar champion. Was 2021 a fluke? Think about it. A lot of people before the 2021 season, when Ganassi signed Alex Pillow, they thought that this was a bad signing. He didn't have the greatest rookie season 2020, so everyone was scratching their head like, why are you signing Pillow? And then obviously we know 2020 happened and he shut all the haters up. So is 2021 a sign that Alex Pillow is the driver that he is, or was 2021 a fluke and he's just going to end up a one-hit wonder? That's going to be a storyline to see. And can Alex Polo back up his championship with an Indy 500 win? He was very strong at the Indianapolis 500, finished on the podium. In fact, he probably would have won the race if he had a couple extra laps to go, dueling it with Elio Castroneves. So Alex Polo, he's my first driver to watch. Number two is the driver who finished on the bottom step of the podium is Pato Award. Pato Award, McLaren's protege, it seems like, really besides Lando Norris. He finished third in the points last year, like I said. He really was the biggest challenge to Alex Pillow all year. Those two swapped the championship back and forth, back and forth. It was a heated battle. 
And then Pelot kind of collapsed towards, you know, the final two races. But, I mean, I mean, Padua Ward, I'm sorry. So, it's going to be interesting to see. Is Padua Ward going into his third full-time IndyCar season? What is he going to bring to the table? Is he going to continue this consistency, this dominance that we've seen? Can McLaren, you know, keep it up? Can they get that extra step to compete with the Ganassis, to compete with the Penske's? So Paddle Ward, in my opinion, is a driver to watch next year. Number three on the list is Elio Castroneves. He's back to full-time IndyCar racing. He had a part-time stint last year with uh, Meyer Shank Racing, obviously won the Indianapolis 500. He's the defending champion. He is one of only, I believe, two or three Indy 500 four-time champions in the race's history. Can he take Meyer Shank Racing to the next to the next level? As we know, Meyer Shank Racing, they're going to have a completely new driver lineup next year. Simon Pagano will be joining Elio Castroneves, so it's kind of like a Penske reunion over there at Meyer Shank Racing. Can those two take Meyer Shank Racing to being, you know, a solid team to being true championship contenders? They definitely have the veterans to do so. Let's see if they can do it. Number four on my list is Roman Grosjean. In my opinion, the standout driver 2020 run, coming from the bottom of the Formula One grid with Haas F1 to competing for IndyCar wins and three steps on the podium, including winning the pole for the first inaugural, first, first race at the Indianapolis Road Course and finishing second there. And we obviously know the story about his crash at Bahrain. New team, obviously he's joining Andretti Autosport, replacing Ryan Hunter Ray in the DHL number 28 car full time. So we are going to see Roman Grosjean compete in the Indianapolis 500 along with the next driver on my list, potentially. Can he bring Andretti back to the top? Really, besides Colton Herta, Andretti Autosport has just been non-existent. Rossi has fallen off a cliff these past two years. Ryan Hunter Ray has been non-existent since 2018. And this, then the fourth driver, whether it be, you know, James Hinchcliffe or I forgot the name of the other driver. I'm, I forgot the name of the other driver, but that fourth car, they've also been non-existent. Zach Veach, Zach Veach or, you know, James Hinchcliffe, they've just been non-existent with that car. So can Roman Grosjean bring Andretti back to the top or is Roman Grosjean just going to fall to the same means as the rest of his Andretti contemporaries? And number five on my list is the seven-time NASCAR champion, Jimmy Johnson. His rookie season was rough. Again, going from over 20 years in the stock car racing straight to Indy cars, it was never going to be an easy transition. So, but we have seen major improvements from Jimmy Johnson as the year went on and on and on. Year two improvements. How is he going to improve? Is he going to knock out some top 15s, top 10, maybe even some podiums? The Indy 500 hype is real for Jimmy Johnson. And I'm going to do a bigger segment on Roman Grosjean and Jimmy Johnson's Indy 500 potential in a later episode. But just to give a long story short, how would Jimmy Johnson compete in a potential Indy 500 run? Would Jimmy Johnson even qualify for the Indianapolis 500? So he is going to be an interesting story to watch. Going into year two, he has a lot of experience now under his belt. And the season's starting earlier this year, so I think it's going to benefit him because he's going to have all that knowledge a little more refreshed as opposed to if it was going to be in March or April. So those are my drivers to watch for the 2022 IndyCar season. I have a nice little bit of variety. I got 
the two best drivers that were a season all last year. Because, you know, you want to see if they could keep it up. Like I said with Pelot, is 2021 a fluke? Because like I said, a lot of people at the beginning of this year, they didn't think Pelot was really Ganassi worthy. And like Pato Award, he's been very consistent since joining IndyCar. Can he keep it up? And I'm really excited to see Elio coming back to IndyCar racing. He's from South Florida. I believe he's from Miami. So it's cool to see a local driver going back to full-time IndyCar racing, even though at the cost of another local driver in Ryan Hunter Ray. And then Roman Grosjean, Jimmy Johnson, two of the biggest names that compete in IndyCar this year. Let's see what they can do in year two. So those are my drivers to watch for the 2022 IndyCar season. All right, for our final segment before we head out of here, you guys know what it is. It's our race weekend ranking sponsored by John and B's Barbershop. If you live in the South Florida area, particularly on Sterling Road in that Davie area, head over to Johnny B's Barbershop if you need a haircut. You guys got Rob, you got Will, you got Johnny over there. They will give you the best haircut you've ever had. Not only that, but just the experience over there. I mean, you can even just go there if you really want just to hang out and chill. That's how great the environment is. They'll give you, I mean, you can ask Will. He'll be like, hey, can you get your, you want to get your nose waxed? But, you know, all jokes aside, Johnny B's, great price, great environment. Sterling Road, Davy Road Extension, right across the street from Wawa. Head over to Johnny B's Barbershop if you need a haircut today. So we got four races that we're going to rank here today. For the first time, because I actually got to catch it for once, I'm going to rank an IMSA race on this list. So we got the IMSA race at VIR, Virginia International Raceway. We got the Xfinity and the Cup Series races at the Charlotte Roble. And we got Formula One at the Turkish Grand Prix. So without further ado, let's get started with number four on the list. And that's the Drive for the Cure 250, a.k.a. the Xfinity race at the Charlotte Roble. For me, the biggest moment of the race was the round of 12 eliminations. Obviously, we had it was a cutoff race, so four drivers were going to go home, which I was four for four. I guessed all the eliminations correct. Jeb Burton, Riley Herbst, Jeremy Clements, and Myatt Snyder were all eliminated. I predicted it back in my Xfinity Series predictions. I was really on the fence with Brandon Jones and Jeb Burton, but I knew that Vegas was going to be the make-or-break deal for the drivers, and what do you know? Vegas was the make-or-break deal for Jeb Burton. So, that's the biggest moment, mainly just because I got all of them correct. Now, if only I had Suarez correct, making the playoffs this year, even though I was half a lap away. Worst moment was the Josh Balicki curb crash. That was just, I don't know what NASCAR is. I get that they want to enforce track limits, but at the same time, it's like NASCAR makes no sense in the sense of they talk about saving costs, but they implement the dumbest things to where the teams are going to get their car damaged and they're going to have to pay more money. If you just want to implement, if you just want to implement track limits, just implement track limits. Say, hey, you can't go here. If you go here, you're going to get penalized or you're going to get a warning. That way, the teams can be like, oh shit, let's not go over there, and they don't have to worry about you know hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage. And the best moment for me was A.J. Allmendinger's 3P at the Charlotte Roval. It's just cool to see a driver just go to one track and just absolutely own it. We've seen it with Jimmy Johnson. We've seen it with Chase Elliott at road courses. It's just, it's really spectacular to see just one driver just be so good at a racetrack. Speaking of being good at a racetrack, number three on my list is the Turkish Grand Prix. Biggest moment was the Hamilton and Mercedes pit strategy, in my opinion. 
I was going to have Hamilton versus um, Sergio Perez on the list, but I just feel like this this moment right here has a lot more championship weight to it just because it dropped Hamilton from really only being like a point out of Verstappen to now being six points out. So that's the biggest moment for me. Best moment was Carlos Sainz on the charge. That man went from 20th to inside the top 10 in like 15 laps. That was amazing to watch. Just see Carlos Sainz just rip through the field like it's just a knife on butter. And the worst moment for me was just really just a dull battle for the podium position. I mean, you had Hamilton and Perez. You had Leclerc for a little bit with Botas. But other than that, I mean, Botas ran away with it. Verstappen was never really challenged. It was just, it was just a dull race up front. It wasn't a dull race at the back, but up front it was just... Eh, you just wish there was a little bit more. Number two on the list is going to be the Michelin GT Challenge at Virginia International Raceway. Biggest moment for me was towards the end of the race when the Porsche spun. Because that had major championship implications. Because that basically eliminated them from the championship contention. Best moment for me was the Corvette's battle for the lead for most of the race. Just seeing, because I'm a Corvette guy, because I'm a Chevy guy. Seeing the two Corvettes battle so hard, you know, trying to get the lead with the pitch strategies and everything. That was a sight to watch. The thing I like about IMSA and sports car racing is that I feel like F1 strategies are just, I mean, they're nice. But it's like, it's basically just, do you want a one-stopper? Do you want a two-stopper? Try to undercut one guy. Try to undercut this guy. I feel like IMSA, it has a lot more strategies, have a lot more weight to them than at someone with something like Formula 1. And to me, the worst moment was the lackluster ending for the win. I mean, in both classes, really because of that spin. It was basically a done deal. First place in both both classes won by like over five seconds, I believe. So, I mean, a very good entertaining battles. It just kind of ended lacklusterly. So that was a little bit disappointing. But it was still enough. Everything was well enough in the race to rank IMSA number two on the list in their debut on the race weekend rankings. And taking the gold medal for the race weekend rankings, number one, the Bank of America Roval 400. Biggest moment of the race is, I mean, without question, Kevin Harvick wrecking Chase Elliott. He just, he just turned him. There's no way to get around it. He just turned him. He wrecked him. He tried crashing him out of the race. He tried basically eliminating him from the playoffs. Best moment, in my opinion, was Harvick wrecking himself. Not really because it was actually a good thing, but it was just hilarious. <laughs> I remember watching that because they were showing it. I was watching it on my phone and just watching Harvick just completely miss the corner and see Chase Elliott right behind him. That was the funniest thing. That's probably the funniest thing I've seen all year. And the worst moment, in my opinion, sticking with the Harvick theme, is there wasn't really a dull moment in the race, in my opinion, but so I have to be a little bit picky with this. Kevin Harvick refusing to own up to the incident. I mean, he was just like, yeah, you remember Bristol? Again, like I talked about in my first segment, Kevin Harvick is a near 50-year-old man. He destroyed his credibility, in my opinion, from being one of the most respected veterans to now basically being like he was in the early 2000s, a spoiled brat. So let's read off our rankings again. Number one is the Bank of America Roval 400, the cup race at the Roval. Number two is the Michelin GT Challenge at Virginia International Raceway for IMSA. 
Number three is the Turkish Grand Prix for Formula One. And number four is the Drive for the Cure 250, the Xfinity race at the Charlotte Roval. And with that, that concludes another episode of the Motorsport Ministry. I hope you guys had fun. I hope you guys enjoyed tuning in. Thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure to listen on the Spotify, whether that be with the link that I send on my social media chain pages at Motorsport Minister or at Armani DePaul. Or you just search up Motorsport Ministry on any search engine or you can search it up on Spotify. Once again, thank you for tuning into the Motorsport Ministry and we will see you next time.